Let's pray. Well, Father, we want to ask that like the psalmist, we too would put our hope in your word. And so as we take this time to pay attention to it, we want to ask that we would not just hear it, that we would receive it, that we would trust it, that we would delight in it, that we would obey it, that we would be kept safe and called home to Jesus by it. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, as I woke up and had a look at my device this morning, the algorithm served these battles up on my feed. I'm told of the battle against Delta, the battle for who will become the next Premier of the state, and the battle for the NRL Premiership, Panthers versus Rabbits. Gather bunnies. I've got my Rabbitohs green on this morning. Lots of battles out there served up on my news feed, but nowhere... Absolutely nowhere in my day-to-day life am I told about a cosmic battle that rages for my soul, that seeks to make me a child of hell, unless I open the Word of God and hear what features on his news feed. What he says is important that I hear. There, I find news of a spiritual battle that I, that you, have woken up to this morning, as beautiful as it may seem outdoors. And we're taking these two weeks in between series to pay special attention to the reality of spiritual warfare. This morning, from Ephesians chapter 6, which breaks into two main parts, the what of spiritual warfare and the how of spiritual warfare. Two parts, let's begin with the what. Have a look there, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think in our context, we tend to make one of two errors when it comes to thinking about Satan's work. The first one quite literally sees a demon in every detail. You know, behind every flat tire, a demon. Behind every stone that you stub your toe on, a demon. Uh, Behind every sniffle, every bad and hard thing that comes is the demonic work of evil. Maybe even behind guitar on a particular style of music, demonic. But then the other mistake that we make, and I think this is more common for us, is that we we have a caricature of what demonic evil powers are like, which means that we actually don't give much thought to them. So if you think of the work of Satan as just being frothing mouths, convulsing bodies, possess people, extreme evil acts, as we do see in the Gospels. But if this is how you think of satanic work, then because you don't see much or any of that in your neck of the woods, no biggie. What devil? But here's the thing. As we saw last week, that is to completely miss the scheming nature of Satan's work. Have a look at verse 11. We're called to stand against the devil's schemes. Satan's work is subtle. 
think about the first appearance that Satan makes in the Bible all the way back in Genesis. God creates the world good. He creates Adam and Eve in relationship with him. And Satan, pictured as the serpent, comes in. He doesn't come and say, hey, Eve, disobey God. You know, throw God off his throne. You be God. Eve would probably go, no, get away from me. Instead, he questions, he twists the truth. He asks questions that sows doubt and humanity falls into the realm of darkness. Do you appreciate how scheming Satan's work is? We can't simply assume that evil will always be obviously evil. In fact, usually evil appears completely ordinary until it has achieved its purpose. Many of you will have read C.S. Lewis's classic book called The Screwtape Letters. And if you haven't, I reckon it's worth a read. Uh, the Screwtape Letters is the letters written by a senior demon named Screwtape to his younger nephew, a junior demon who's learning the craft, named Wormwood. They serve their father below, and their mission is to prevent humans from being captured by the enemy. And if they have been captured by the enemy, to seek their release. However, from their perspective, the enemy is the risen Lord Jesus. Now, it's, it's fictional writing, of course, but I think it's helpful to capture the scheming, subtle nature of evil powers. Listen to how Screwtape writes to Wormwood about pleasures. Pleasures. He says this, He, that's Jesus, made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Do you catch that? It's the Lord Jesus who has created all good things to be received with thanksgiving. But it's the subtle twisting and misusing and misapplying of pleasures that is the classic baiting of the hook. And so we do it in all sorts of ways. We take sex, created by God to be a good gift in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And we put it on the internet and we steal it. We take alcohol, a good gift to levels of excess and dependence. We take material possessions and put them on the treadmill in search of contentment. The subtle scheming work of evil in the ordinary, in the good things even, the pleasures that we so often miss, which is so often gradual. See, in another episode where Screwtape writes to Wormwood, who is seeking to rescue someone captured by the enemy, a Christian, a man who has come to follow Jesus. And Screwtape warns Wormwood not to work too quickly as he seeks to tear him away from Jesus. Don't work too quickly, he says, lest in attempting to hurry the patient, you awaken him to a sense of his real position. Do you catch that? Work slowly, work imperceptibly. He goes on and says instead that Wormwood should tempt the patient 
in the small sins. He says, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Isn't that a chilling idea? That Satan could be so scheming that he could work so subtly, so slowly, so gradually that we wouldn't even realise in the moment that we're headed for hell. Murder, you know, a spectacular event, it's no better than, well he said cards, which is a 20th century thing maybe, murder no better than sport that would take you away from church, away from God's people. Murder is no better than a promotion that would now consume all of your energies. Murder is no better than that next investment that'll strip away any ministry of giving to the gospel. Murder is no better than Netflix, which show after show, episode after episode, night after night, reshapes our values to be after the world, to be after the devil. Now again, like we said last week, it is not to say that these things, that all things are completely evil. They're not. They're mixed. But it is a call for us to wake up to the subtle, scheming nature of Satan's work in your life as he seeks to increase the distance between you and your God. It's a battle that is waged in the completely ordinary context now we're jumping into Ephesians cold this morning but if we had been working our way through it we would notice that Paul has just been spending a bunch of time talking about how the gospel works itself out in the home front how it works out between marriages husband and wife between parents children and parents uh, about workplaces bosses employees and so on And then you get to verse 10 and boom, suddenly he pulls back and starts talking about cosmic spiritual powers. Now I think that the contrast there is intentional from the ordinary home to the heavenly spiritual battle. Because whilst our battle is not against flesh and blood, which is to say it's not merely human in its concern, the context of the spiritual battle is in the day-to-day life in the ordinary, in the home, in the workplace. Now those two things, home and workplace, have become one and the same for many of us lately, right? Lockdown is the context for spiritual warfare. Do you realise that? The way that you relate to your spouse, to your kids, to your homemates, the way, kids, that you relate to your parents, the way that you go about your work when no one can see. Lockdown has been a massive time of temptation for us. One of the big reasons is the lack of our accountability. We're in our four walls. We might have a few people around, but largely we're shut off from a community which brings accountability. It's been the context where we can so easily just 
take another nibble of that little sin. Because after all, this is so hard and surely I'm justified with just a little nibble. A little look online, a lot of retail online, a lot of swigs of the bottle, whatever it's been for you. In this context, it's the word of God that says to you, stand against Satan's schemes. It feels like Groundhog Day. It feels like it's nothing. It's going nowhere. This is the context for a cosmic battle for your soul. Now, we'll come to how we do stand in just a moment. But before we do, it'll be of no use to you. And yet, unless you realize your need to stand in this spiritual battle. There is no place for drifting, cruising and presuming in the Christian life. If you do, Satan is at work in your life. If you're not thinking about this battle, if you're not paying attention to what to do in this battle, be warned. A comfortable, cruisy Christian life may well be that work of Wormwood. So let's push into the how of the spiritual battle. The, the reality is the spiritual battle that we're in. Let's come to the how of the battle. It's interesting to note the posture that Paul uses as he calls us to spiritual battle. Four times in these verses we're called to stand to stand against the devil's schemes, verse 11. Verse 13, to stand our ground after everything, to stand. Verse 14, to stand firm then. This is in contrast to the way that Paul has been describing Christian life up until this point in the letter. You, you flick back through the letter and you find that we are to walk in the good works prepared for us. That we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. That we're to walk in love that we're to walk as children of light, that we're to walk as wise people. And so the, the favorite image that he uses for Christian living is walking. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, it's standing. Now this image, this posture, makes clear what spiritual warfare isn't. That is, there is no instruction for us to storm the gates of hell in Jesus' name. There is no instruction for us to cast out the demonic. We are not called to be devil slayers as though we are out to bring Satan down. This is important. We are not out to win the victory over Satan, but rather to stand in the victory that Jesus has already won against Satan. See, it's in Jesus' death, resurrection, that Satan and every power which is what is being referred to there, a legion of powers who are the, uh, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world. There is a cohort with Satan. But in Jesus' death and resurrection, they have been defeated. Come back to chapter 1, verse 19. Paul is talking of uh, the glorious inheritance that is ours as God's people, verse 19. And he's talking that we might know his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms listen to this 
far above every rule and authority, power and dominion. Every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We are called to take spiritual warfare seriously. But we're not engaged in a war where we don't know the winner. God has disarmed the evil powers. He's made a public spectacle of them at the cross. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. Yet, battle Christian. Stand against the devil's schemes Christian. Why? Why are we to fear if at the cross Satan has been defeated? A few years ago now, um, 2014, I believe, uh, there's a tragic story of a Chinese chef who was killed in the kitchen as he was at work preparing a delicacy, a Chinese delicacy, which involved a deadly snake, a poisonous snake. And he cut the head off the snake so that he could prepare the dish with the body. And as he was throwing the snake's head into the bin, the head has latched onto him, it's bitten him, and it's killed him. Satan and his cohort have been defeated at the cross 2,000 years ago. And yet we live in the age before Jesus returns where his head that's been severed, he's dead, is falling into the bin, yet remains a very real, deadly threat for us. How else do we make sense of Paul's word to take spiritual warfare seriously? Now at this point, as you start to think about that, as you start to think about the subtle scheming nature of Satan where you don't even realize it necessarily, it can raise great anxiety in us. Oh, you know, wow, how am I going to stand? Huge anxiety, it's possible. Like my anxiety was raised this week. Did you hear of the great white shark at McMaster's Beach this week? Um, I have been swimming at max. I've been ocean swimming every day now for the last two weeks. Monday, there was a report from a surfer that this great white shark, just a couple of metres from her, has launched out of the water, jaws right open, big white belly, as she's then scrambled onto the rocks. Can you imagine the anxiety? Well, ever since I've heard of that report on Monday, I've been swimming at max, but in the kiddie pool, right? <laughs> I've just been doing my laps right near the point. There's no great white shark getting over that concrete. And here's the thing. I'm going, ah, oh, come on. You know, it, it's been a few days now. You'll be right. But no amount of saying, Jez, just be strong in the face of a four meter great white monster will make me any less tasty, right? There's no amount of just talking myself into being strong that will necessarily counter that how much less the devil himself and so you hear this you, you capture the seriousness of this and you go oh how am I going to stand well read verse 10 carefully finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power we don't stand against Satan, against evil, by mustering up every bit of courage, savvy, and strength that we can muster. All right, I'm going to be a victorious Christian. Come at me. No, no, no. We stand in the strength of Jesus, 
in his mighty power, that same power that raised him from the dead and seated him above every other power in the cosmos. If you feel weak in the Christian life, if you feel weak in your struggle against sin, if you feel weak in the face of Satan, you are perfectly qualified to stand in this battle. If you would use the resources that God has given you to withstand. Twice Paul tells us to put on the full armour of God. And if we had more time, I'd take you back to the Old Testament to show you, show you the background that Paul's drawing on here. Chase it up later if you're taking notes. Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter 59, where God himself is presented as a warrior who straps on the breastplate, the, the, the belt, the sword, the helmet of salvation and so on, as he steps into a world under the grip of evil, by our own choosing, but under the grip of the enemy nonetheless. He steps into this world to win men, women and children to the safety of his care. This spiritual battle is God's battle, not ours. We're to put his armour on. This is really important. Our spiritual battle is about using the resources that God has already given to us in order that we might stand firm on the ground that God has already won for us. This is God who is at the front. Now these resources that God has given to us are pictured as six pieces of armour. Each deserve their own sermon really, but here's the big idea that they form. It's the gospel. It's what God has given us in the gospel. The truth of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, sharing the gospel, trusting in the promises of the gospel, the salvation only in the gospel and the word of the gospel. Six of them. Let's move through them fairly quickly. The first one, verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. What truth? Which truth? Well, God's truth, the truth of the gospel. That's how Paul has used this term back in chapter 1, verse 13. The beautiful truth that even though you were dead in your sins, when you followed the ways of this world and of the evil spiritual powers and were deserving of wrath, the beautiful truth that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Chapter 2. Put on the truth of the gospel, of what God has done for you, of who you are in light of the gospel. He keeps going. Put the breastplate of righteousness in place. What is the breastplate of righteousness that is key to us fighting this battle? Well, as you read through Ephesians, it seems fairly clear that Paul is speaking of righteousness as the changed life that comes from having trusted the gospel, the fruit of the gospel. Back on, in chapter 4, he describes uh, the old clothes that you take off, the former way of life, ignoring God, and the new clothes that you put on, which is holy, which is godlike. 
which is godliness. Now let me just dwell on this for a moment. There is no sin that we can put in just the little sin category. Big sins, I'll try and avoid those. Little sins, eh, it'll be all right. No, no, no. Little sins offer the devil a sniff. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 26. It says there, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Notice that. That, that anger that goes unchecked becomes a massive cesspool for our sin massive temptation to sin anger that we hold on to against our spouse our kids our parents our brother our sister our boss notice that don't don't sin in your anger lest you give the devil a foothold for it to grow for it to fester now it's not just anger there's all sorts of things verse 29 unwholesome talk This is particularly tricky for some of you in work contexts. This is not just a matter of kind of, you know, blending in with the boys, with the girls at work. This is a matter for spiritual battle. You get down to verse 31, bitterness, rage. Into chapter 5, verse 3, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, greed. These are improper for God's holy people. There's no such thing as a little sin to just nibble with, to just kind of indulge with. These are the things that would give the enemy a foothold. Our godliness in everyday life is not about just making us more respectable, nice people. It's in part to do with the cosmic battle for our soul. What little sin might you be snuggling up to in this season? Nibbling at. There is no little sin that you can do this with that doesn't have the potential to have cosmic consequences. Repent. Now there's just two bits of armour. There's four plus one to go, so let's hurry through them. The next one, verse 15, we're to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I take it that this is a call for our efforts in evangelism. Our call to share the gospel of peace between a holy God and sinners and then each other. If you're taking notes, chase up Isaiah 52 verse 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who those declare peace. Paul then uses that in Romans 10. And then 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. uh, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot believe, they will not believe the light, the glory in Christ. And so as we declare the gospel of peace, we actually see the grip of Satan demolished. Not because of anything impressive about us, but because of the power of the gospel. And so this is, yes, in one sense, a defensive thing, but this is also us part of God's work to demolish Satan's grip. We heard about the opportunities a moment ago to give ourselves to mission in the next coming months, to ask that question of someone. 
Be thinking about it. Be praying about it. Who could you do that as you engage in the readiness of the gospel of peace? Verse 16. Take up the shield of faith which extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one. We've watched enough medieval movies, you know, flaming arrows. Ooh. Well, there's a shield of faith to extinguish them. What is that? It's to trust, that's what faith is, to trust the promises of God in the gospel. Not in any other word that would twist and distort, any other word that would whisper to you, ah, you've fallen in that sin again. Do you really think God's going to keep forgiving you? Didn't you repent of that last month? God says, come to me. Look to Jesus. Look to the forgiveness I've won for you at the cross. You are forgiven. You you hear a little voice that says, yeah, I, I know God says he loves me, but look at the circumstances of my life. Really? Is that how a life would look if an almighty God loved me? It's to trust in the promises of the gospel that he does, that he's working all things for your good, you'll see. We fight this battle by looking away from ourselves and trusting in the promises of the gospel. Verse 17, we're to take the helmet of salvation. Salvation that is not by works, not by anything we do, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Chapter 2, verse 8. In chapter 4, Paul warns of cunning and crafty false teaching. And so as we put on the the helmet of salvation, we are to guard against any claim of salvation apart from active trust in Christ. As though it'll just all be okay for you and your friends and family, so long as they're just nice enough. It'll it'll be all right. God will let them in. No. No. It'll all be okay as long as you're sincere in whoever you pray to. It doesn't matter. No, we put on the helmet of salvation that is in Christ alone. And the sixth piece of armour, verse 17, we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which of course in its entirety is everything that we come to each week, each time we gather together, the Bible. Most specifically, it's the word of the gospel. The word of God is the word of the gospel. For note takers, chase this up later. Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Even Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Where the word of God is presented as the word of the gospel. What God has done in history in his son for wretches like you and me. To win us back to himself, to win us to each other. The word is the source of all of these pieces of armour that we are to take up. So as you stand back, and that's just a quick race through, I know, but you stand back from all these bits of armour, you see that there's no Harry Potter wand, there's no spell to just zap the demons, but rather it's the gospel which forms the armour. It's the gospel, it's what God has already given to us that will allow us to stand on the ground that he's already won for us. 
And so, Christian, this is a very serious subject. There is a cosmic battle for your soul. Yet in the gospel, you need not fear. If you're cruising, if you're drifting, if you're presuming, oh, it's time to fear. But as you take heed to God's word, you stand not with presumption, but with confidence. Not in yourself, but in God, in who he is, in what he's done, in what he's given us. Our spiritual battle is about using the resources that God has already given to us that we might stand on the ground that he has already won for us in Jesus. Yet there's one more vital dimension to the how of spiritual battle. It's there in verse 18. Again, probably deserves at least four sermons, this verse, but let's at least be clear on what it says. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That translation is a good one, but it blurs it a little. There's, there's four clear alls here. Uh, but before we get to those, we see that critical to fighting this battle, critical to standing on this ground, is the need to stand on our knees to stand on our knees independent prayer firstly we're to pray in the spirit what does that mean to pray in the spirit well it doesn't mean praying in tongues it doesn't mean praying some kind of special passionate satan crushing kind of prayers no 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 just you'll see it in chapter 2 verse 18 that paul says it's through Jesus that we have access to the Father by one Spirit. We have access to the Father by one Spirit. Paul is just reflecting the Trinitarian nature of God and the Gospel. Uh, Christians live in the realm of the Spirit all the time. And so we pray to God in and by the Spirit. Because Christian life is not just another social club Um, it's not just what we give ourselves to compared to what the surfers give themselves to compared to what the bushwalkers give themselves to compared to what the gamers give themselves christian life is about a spiritual dimension it's lived in the spirit so we pray by the spirit then as i said we see there's four alls we are to pray all the time with all kinds of prayers, with all perseverance, for all the Lord's people. Now, very quickly, pray on all occasions. That's what the NIV has for all times, which is a good translation. Literally, it's to pray all the time, which doesn't literally mean never stop praying. You know, um, My wife could tell you how it goes when I'm trying to speak to her whilst read a work email. No, no, no. This doesn't mean literally all the time paying that kind of attention to God. But it is meaning that we would pray on all occasions. That There's no kind of occasion where prayer isn't the most sane thing to do. There is no kind of occasion. Whether you're tempted, whether you're at peace, 
whether you are with plenty or in want. There is no occasion where prayer isn't the most sane thing to do if you recognize the spiritual battle that goes on. So we're to pray on all occasions. Secondly, with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of prayers. The most basic kind of prayer is asking God for stuff, right? It's pretty simple. Ask God for stuff. But there's different kind of things that we might ask him for. We might ask for forgiveness, as Jesus teaches in the Lord's Prayer. We might ask for our daily physical needs, as he teaches. We might be like, Lord, forgive me for saying that. Help me with my patience right now. Thank you for your goodness to me in. It's been beautiful to hear those things sent in this morning for us to be able to pray prayers of thanksgiving. There's prayers of interceding for your friends and family, particularly those outside of Christ. Interceding for governments who rule on behalf of God. We are to pray with all kinds of prayers. Thirdly, with all perseverance. Always keep on praying, says Paul. Uh, Let me speak particularly to the parents who are in the heat of the lockdown moment. Uh, I think this has been amplified by lockdown, though it exists even outside of it. Are you experiencing this kind of thing? The kid coming to you and going, enough. No more questions. No, no, no. No more da-da-da-da-da-das. No more mama-mama-mamas. The kitchen is closed. I don't want to hear it. Go and figure it out for yourself. Sam is right behind the camera. (laughs) Honestly, beautifully going, yeah. Here's the beautiful truth. God never tires of our asking. Jesus teaches it's the opposite. He has infinite patience and desire to hear his children come to him. Don't tire of asking God for what you want. And fourthly, we are to be praying for all the Lord's people. This is beautiful. Notice the corporate dimension to this spiritual battle. We're not just solo soldiers standing out on a battlefield on our own. We're in a trench together. We are in this battle together. And so note the call there to be praying for each other, for all the Lord's people, for all things, but particularly in the context of spiritual battle, which means, people, you need to have some of the Lord's people in your life. You need to be close enough relationally to be able to pray particularly for each other. And so do that in your growth groups. Do that in your ministry teams. If you're not in one, we mentioned this last week, but there's eight weeks in this term, jump into a growth group. We've got pop-up groups so that you can just quickly and easy get into a group on Zoom. Hit us up on the text line if you would like to do that. Be in a group that you can be in this battle alongside the Lord's people. Lockdown has given some of you much more time, actually. How much more time have you given to prayer? It's not too late. And a helpful thing here is not to go, okay, yes, I haven't used the time as I could have in prayer. I'm going to give myself to an hour's prayer when I get up in the morning. Well, maybe, but why don't you start with five minutes and make that a regular discipline? 
one that you extend to 10 minutes, to half an hour. This is the way that disciplines, all kinds of disciplines, spiritual as well, are built up. Because you're in a battle, a battle for your soul, one that you can and you will stand against in Christ. As we hear God's word about how we stand, as we take up the armour, as we do that on our knees. We'll be regathering church soon, praise the Lord. This is going to take an army to get going again. How might you be able to give yourself to that work, which is a mission work? It doesn't matter what part that you play here, this is to see the gospel of Jesus go out on the coast. Would you give yourself to that, mindful of this cosmic battle that rages? Summer is coming. We don't exactly know what that will look like with carols, with Christmas, with some of us, all of that. But who might you be praying for? Who might you be speaking the gospel of peace to with the feet ready with the gospel? Let's take this occasion right now to be praying to our God. Join me. Our Father, we, we thank you so much for Jesus, for his death in our place, for all that means for us. We particularly remember the defeat of Satan, that at the cross his grip on us was smashed, that there is now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. There is no accusation that he can level against us that Jesus' death has not dealt with. We praise you for the gospel, for who we are. Father, forgive us if we've been drifting, if we've been cruising, if we've been presuming. Uh, wake us up. We thank you for your word that seeks to do that. And please, might all of us live sober lives, awake to the battle that rages, the head that's been cut off but still seeks to bite. And might we take up the armour that you've given us in the gospel with the confidence that in Jesus we will stand. For those who are feeling particularly weak, particularly tempted right now, Lord, might they know a particular expression of your grace to them. Might they know that in Christ they have everything they need. Might they turn to him and cling to him this day, every day. Lord, please bring us back together soon that we might be able to again reflect the community that we are, the battle that we are in together, that we might be able to more easily speak the gospel into each other's lives and that we might more easily be able to take the gospel of peace out to our community. We ask that we, you would do this for our good, for our joy and for the glory of Jesus who sits above every power, every authority. It's in his name we pray. Amen.